0: Welcome to the Fantasy Inn Podcast, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn. Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Inn Podcast. Today is something a little different. I have a well-known Booktube star, Daniel Green, with me. I think you've been active, Daniel, for what, a little over three and a half years now? I think so, maybe
1: over four. I should probably keep better track of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it all runs together after a while, huh? It,
1: it does, in the best way possible.
0: <laughs> but yeah, if you haven't heard of Daniel Green already, his YouTube channel is great for uh, breaking fantasy news, reviews, and author interviews, which sounds like a weird rhymey punchline or something but he has some of everything and I guess congratulations Daniel on uh, passing the 100k mark fairly recently that's a huge milestone
1: yeah it's still blowing my mind a little bit uh that 100,000 people at some point or another have decided to hit subscribe I'm flattered
0: I'm nervous and I'm gonna continue to do my best (laughs) (laughs) yep yep that's all you can do and uh that best was recognized recently uh you just won a stabby award on the r Fantasy subreddit
1: Yeah. Oh, man, that too blew my mind. Uh, Apparently, they're actually sending me something, too. I love the fantasy subreddit. I've gotten major bumps from there, and it's where I've since basically I started reading fantasy um, as an adult. I've been picking up recommendations. It's probably my favorite fantasy community online outside of my own. I have to quickly add that at the end there. Um,
0: (laughs) It's assumed. It's assumed. Yeah,
1: uh, because they just, they have such good taste. And even if someone has a dissenting opinion, usually it's, as long as you're respectful in your dissenting opinion, it's met with, you know, an
0: open discussion rather than all caps internet rage, which I appreciate. It's definitely uh, one of the slightly more friendly corners of the internet compared to, uh, say, the rest of Reddit. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. That's actually kind of where I started reading again as an adult to found the Fantasy subreddit. I think, whew, man, it's been five years now. Picked up Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson and haven't looked back.
1: Yeah, they are some of the biggest Brandon Sanderson peddlers out there. It's funny. There's always people who are asking like, aside from Brandon Sanderson, what does this subreddit recommend? Because it's brought up there so much. And now they're having like this anti-Sanderson, not like hating on him, but they're just trying to be like, okay, what else can we talk about here and promote? I've seen a lot of those threads where it's like, oh, we need to talk about Joe Abercrombie and Mark Lawrence and Brent Weeks and all these other people who are doing just as incredible things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, even more authors too, because most of those authors are pretty well loved too. I Mm -hmm. think. All of them are in the top 50 or so on their site. So.
1: Probably, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they do a pretty decent job, I'd say, of helping promote indie authors. I mean, it's how I found out about uh, sort of Kaigen, which I hope I'm saying right now. Apparently, I said it wrong in my <laughs> I, review. I could not tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rage of Dragons as well. Um, but, I mean, even people who are bigger fantasy authors can fly under radars. I mean, I wasn't aware of Mark Lawrence until the subreddit brought it to my attention. And it's just, you know, I'm knowledgeable in the genre. It's just one of these things where there's so many authors now. It's hard to even keep track of all the successful ones.
0: It really is. I I mean, no time is that more obvious than when I try to do like a top 10 or a top 20 list. And it's, it's a struggle. Like I have to just like find arbitrary criteria to knock some off just because there's so many to choose from. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to weight those lists properly because it's like, okay, do I only do one entry per author? Okay, then then I have to pick the best of this author. That's going to make all of his fans mad. Uh, you know, it's, it becomes difficult to put anything like that together. Um, I don't know. I've really struggled. I can feel you there because I've really struggled with any of my top ten lists. I mean, the comment sections on them are always just pointing out things that I absolutely should have included or not included.
0: I mean, a, a fundamental law of the internet is anytime a list is made, at least one of the first five comments is, why isn't this on there? Yeah.
1: <laughs> or there's the, you included this indie author. That indie author is so small, you shouldn't include them. But if you include no indie authors, it's, your taste is so mainstream, you're so boring and predictable. It's like, well, how
0: do I make you all happy?
1: <laughs> you don't.
0: You yeah. don't. There's no way. Especially not with 100k people following your channel. Yeah. Oh, I,
1: I put out a berserk interview uh, review today, and that is that is causing quite the backlash. I'm, I'm not allowed to not like things, but hey, I didn't like it, so whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess before we dive into the heart of our episode, where we each uh, bring a book to the table, and we kind of both read them, we're going to talk about them a bit. So more on that later. I had a few questions I want to ask you. And the first that I try to ask everyone I have on the show is just, how did you get into fantasy?
1: A fairly predictable route. Uh, My dad read me fantasy and my mom uh, pretty much my entire childhood growing up. And that kind of just bridged into a natural continuation of me reading as an adult. I mean, I was the prime age to have Harry Potter read to me growing up. I was born in 94, so the series was really big right when I was in that age. And then um, from there, it was Aragon, Lord of the Rings. And the first series I really picked up on my own was Wheel of Time. Uh, which I didn't know I was getting into. If someone had told, I think it was like 12-year-old me or 11-year-old me that I was picking up a 14-book series, I probably would have done it. (laughs) Um, But then, it's you know, then you have His Dark Materials. I mean, so many books, Redwall from that age, so clearly looking back at like my life had a much larger impact than I could have possibly like processed at the time. Um, Especially Redwall is something I need to talk about more because I love those books. They're so good uh yeah but yeah it's it's weird how much you forget and then as soon as you can pick up one of those old books you read three pages you just have this world of information come back to you that your mind buried and it just comes back and you're like oh my god yes you just gotta rediscover this beautiful magical
0: landscape yeah and uh i'm right there with you on Redwall. i think i mean honestly i couldn't tell you like my one and only intro into fantasy because there's so many books I read as a kid that all kind of blend together around the same time. Mm. Uh, But Redwall is definitely a standout. Uh, I mean, Martin gets a lot of flack for uh, feasts and food and songs in his books. But man, Brian Jakes has it (laughs) all in Redwall. A little bit. Yeah. And it's also I think that's the first series as well,
1: where I like as a kid picked up on themes or like I was I was at the right age reading them where I was like, oh, this is the greater meaning. You know what I mean? Like I finally hit that right click or it was like, I'm supposed to take this away. And I did. And I felt really proud of myself.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. That was probably the same for me too. I mean, I was born in 93. So our fantasy journey was relatively similar at the start. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, another thing, so you mentioned them both yourself. Uh, You've recently reviewed self-published books like Never Die by Rob Hayes Mm -hmm. and The Sword of Kaigen by M.O. Wang. So, How do you balance talking about, you know, the tried and true favorites of the fantasy community like Sanderson, Jordan, Weeks, Abercrombie, et cetera, and then shining a spotlight on books that don't quite have an established audience yet? So that's a really good question.
1: And I wish I had some like formula I relied on or something along those lines. But the truth of it comes down to keep myself sane doing this to keep it so I can still enjoy reading two, three books a week. I pick up what I feel like, and I review what I want to, and it can't really go far beyond that. And I've had some people get really mad at me who are like, "It's your responsibility to read this, <laughs> or it's your duty to help promote this author." And I'm sorry, but I can't do that and keep myself sane because um, I'm actually like, you may—I don't know if people can—people might laugh at me saying this. I don't know if people can tell. I'm severely opinionated about what I read. Um, I have rather <laughs> strong opinions on stuff, and so if something's really horrible and I have to kind of push myself through it, it actually, like, really takes something out of me. Um, like, reading Cursed Child recently, like, I pushed myself through that to the end, and I hated it. Um, I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah, and it, like, I didn't read as much for a while because it, like, really left a bad taste in my mouth, and so I my channel suffered because it gives me book reviews out, and I didn't like it. Um, so I just read what I want to I kind of go with the flow and that's been a really good formula for success so far I wish I could take the time to read the four books that are sent to me every day through email by self-published authors but I physically cannot and I want to still continue to enjoy to read so I just
0: I don't and it's it's worked out pretty well so far Uh, how so how do you find those books if you're just like. Picking whatever is good. I mean, are you scrolling through Goodreads or these personal recommendations? Where do you go? I don't mean to toot my audience's own horn, but they
1: are really good with what they recommend. Um, if I remember correctly, the first big series I picked up based off my audience's recommendation was Lightbringer. And I really like Lightbringer, I think it's a really creative, imaginatively well realized uh, world. Brent Weeks is a genius. Um, And so, largely, what I've found is through their recommendations. I'm reading um, uh, The Expanse right now. I just picked it up, and that's because someone in my audience sent it to me, and they've mentioned it so many times. Uh, And on top of that, of course, I go to things like Reddit, uh, the fantasy subreddit. I mean, you couldn't be on there for a month and not see Evan Winter's Rage of Dragons being talked about. So, I decided, okay, if this guy's being this highly hyped up, I got to give it a go. Um, so I kind of do just see what's being talked about, what my audience recommends. I'd say that's about 40 to fifty percent of what I read. And then the other is I just go on goodreads or I go to um, you know, self-published awards that are going on and I just look at what's getting hyped up. And Mark Lawrence recently had a self-published, uh, th- uh, he's involved with a self-published uh, fantasy sci-fi uh, competition, and I, I picked up a few of the finalists because I was like, all right, if these guys are this good, let's go with that. That's how I found Never Die. It's how I found sort of Kagan um, and read and reviewed those. I mean, so it's it's always a mixture, always trying to keep it different, and I'm always open to new avenues for finding books. And um, it's also, I'm fully willing to admit this, and people are going to judge me for it. If a, if a book has a badass cover, I'm more willing to pick it up and look at the inside and say, all right, what's going on here? Um, So, yeah, it's kind of a mixture of all the above.
0: I mean, hell, like there's that saying, don't judge a book by its cover. But that's literally the point of a book cover (laughs) is to get you to judge a book and pick it up and buy it. Okay,
1: I will I will
0: dismiss that saying right
1: now on face value, because if a a, you should judge a book by a good cover, because a good cover should communicate what's inside the book. And a lot of the really great fantasy books have phenomenal covers that will tell you a lot about what's inside the pages. Um, I think a, a couple of the editions of Mistborn out there do a really good job of setting the tone, communicating who Vin is. Um, I really like some of those. So, yeah, screw that saying. It's wrong. Judge books by their covers if they're well done.
0: Um, and then so another thing, uh, I've been kind of binging some of your uh, videos recently, trying to prepare for this, just to get a general idea of kind of uh, what you've been reading. But I also see you've mentioned that not putting out some sort of content can be a source of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel the same way. So if I'm not like putting reviews out there, putting podcast episodes out there or something, you know, that's kind of a sense of anxiety. So how do you deal with it? So this, okay,
1: uh, this is a really good question. And it's something I'm currently really battling right now. Um, I just... Look in the last couple of weeks, I forget when exactly announced to my audience, no more Sunday videos because seven days a week was literally killing me. <laughs> um, I was working like yeah. 12, 16 hour days, which people hear I'm a YouTuber and they assume I don't work hard. Um, I'm working. <laughs> I'm working really, <laughs> really hard, guys. Um, so I I kind of just have been teaching myself to cut back. And my, I think my quality of content improves because of it. Because I'm not, if I'm not really tired when I'm grading something, then Believe it or not, the actual videos I do make are better. Um, So telling myself it's going to be okay and looking at the analytics, which will then turn around and be like, yeah, this is fine. You're doing okay." not having content. Um, And YouTube, especially, I think, is actually starting to reward creators for maybe taking a step back. Um, Because if you post a video and don't post one the next day or the next day, it'll just take your last post and continue to promote it a bit more. So it'll even give you a little bit of like, a, yeah, you can you can take a day off. That's all right. Uh, which I appreciate. So I mean, it is a it is a real source of anxiety. I mean, I deal with pretty severe anxiety myself, um, and I'm I'm open about that. I'm happy to talk about it. That there's no shame in people talking about stuff like that. But you know, being in content creation, there is a level of anxiety that'll come with it, no matter what. You're always going to be worrying about the hustle. You know, I could be doing this. I could be putting more out. I could be getting more views. And that's the real like, damaging part of this industry, Even whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. There is this drive that isn't being—it's an it's a inevitable result of being involved in one of the most competitive industries out there. People don't think about content creation like that, but it really is. I mean, I'm always afraid someone's going to come along and just fill the gap I'm in better and higher quality. So I'm trying to diversify content, trying to make people really— I love what I do so that that can't happen, but it's it's a really difficult process to build a relationship with an audience, but I've learned that it sometimes the, the return on investment for taking a day off can be really massive, or taking a weekend off, which I haven't done in years, but maybe I do need to take a whole weekend off soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's definitely fair. There's this weird myth or misconception out there that, you know, anyone who's artistic or in a creative industry that, like, just because they're doing something that a lot of people would consider fun or creative, that it's not work also. Uh, And, I mean, you hear about authors having burnout all the time, so I'm not surprised that, you know, this is a common issue. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, for sure. I mean, and there's... So, here's the thing I've been trying... I've learned to communicate effectively recently to people, so imagine... You work at a job where every minute you put into it will increase the chances of your success and increase your monetary uh, payback, like much, much more so. Every minute you put in, you directly get more money back, and there's never any off clock. It's going to have that forever, and a lot of people have never experienced that because they work a typical 9 to 5 with a p- boss, and they clear into the workday. You're done at 5. Content creation doesn't have that you're not done at five. You're just going to be emails. There's going to be new comments. There's going to be some person mentioning you on Twitter who maybe could help you. You're always worried about it. And the real struggle is to just try and find a way to not care. Give yourself a few hours every day where you don't care. No matter what's going on, this is your time. Relax. Um, and it's it's something that, you know, is, is. there's all kinds of studies going on in psychology right now about content creators because they're trying to figure out what the, like, ramifications of this work life where, yeah, you're not in a coal mine or you're not in a cubicle, but your your work becomes essentially a 24-hour while you're conscious, you could have something happen that you need to respond to a lifestyle. And it's pretty pretty intense. It's obviously not the hardest job, but it's one that has unknown ramifications, (laughs) is how I'll put it as of right now.
0: Yeah, it's just... More reason why I hate this saying, that it's like, find the job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Nope. That is bullshit. <laughs> and to any content creator who's listening to this, have hobbies outside of
1: your content. I made a pretty interesting choice to make my biggest hobby, fantasy, my content. So then I kind of, after I made this my full-time job, realized I didn't have a hobby that wasn't my job and I had to find a new one. And so now I'm doing things that I will never talk about, never put on the channel because I need those to just be away from that spotlight. I need them to just be like, I can be bad at this. I can put it down and quit and there's no greater stakes. (laughs) That's an important thing as well.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, it's been a bit. So let's actually dive into the meat of this episode and talk about books because, I mean, (laughs) we both love talking about books. Let's be honest. Yes. So first up, is Daniel, Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Ames. So to start us off, why did you choose this book? So I have, I put out my review of this book and then like
1: I realized, okay, everyone loves this book. Everyone's been aware of it. I'm behind the curve and I haven't really had a lot of people to talk about with it. So I was like, I need a fantasy nerd I could talk about this book with in like <laughs> in some kind of in person <laughs> context because everyone I bring it up to is like, oh yeah, that book was big a while ago. And I'm like, well, d- let's talk now. <laughs> um, yep, so I'm yep. forcing you to be
0: that person for me and talk about hey, how down. fun Kings of the Wild is because it's such a fun read. Yeah, it, it really is fun. And I know, I think at the time I was seeing a bunch of reviewers say, like, make fantasy fun again, which <laughs> uh, <laughs> interesting <laughs> slogans aside, uh, I think it really does that. Because, uh, you know, it's not like the content itself is not earth shatteringly original. Nope. Right? It's, it's more the tone and how that's conveyed. Exactly. I think what Nicholas
1: Ames did. Masterfully, here is its parody in the most respectful way possible. He clearly loves fantasy. He clearly is incredibly knowledgeable in it, but he's also poking fun at it. He's making fun of the tropes. He's taking it in a new direction, tonally, in a lot of ways, while still having an emotional weight to it, still having characters you really connect with, because it's not all jokes. It's this interesting, I think. I've never, I have never seen a fantasy parody outside of like Monty Python and the Holy Grail done this well. Um, I think it's fantastic.
0: I agree. It's very, very good and very, very fun. Um, and part of it, I don't know. For me, uh, in addition to the humor, I just don't see older protagonists all that often, mm-hmm. uh, especially where they're dealing with like one, just the physicality of aging, and two, like the ramifications of what they've done in the past. Like you're not getting the grand quest originally, necessarily. You're getting the people going back on tour, to use the band analogy, after they've already had grand adventures when they were younger. hmm It does have that feeling of, like, ACDCs back together again. They're not
1: in their prime, but they're touring Europe, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's it has, like, such a nice heart to it, as well, because of how much these characters care about each other. Um, you know, they they, they they it's funny, like, they've already developed these characters. Ha- they're they're, you know, they're in their later life. They've developed. They're not having these huge revolutionary changes to them, but instead of this development, it almost feels like we're watching these characters really realize who they are already. There's a lot of these moments of like, especially the main protagonist dealing with, "Am I this monster? Okay, I'm not. I've had this life with my wife, but I kind of am afraid that this monster is really going to reawaken in me as we go on this journey." And there are moments where he, you know, gets gory, gets barbaric, gets in like rage states. And that makes him scared. And his internal thought process while that's happening is really like interesting to see with this older character. And as you said, it's rare to even see older characters, let alone handled with that level of tact, because there is some form of ageism in fantasy where older characters don't take the center sage light, whether it's because of practical stories when you're telling a grand fantasy epic or you know, what have you, there's some reason there's this discrimination against someone over, I'd say, 25 even, uh, being your main protagonist.
0: Yeah, although it's weird, right? Because it's discrimination for, but not necessarily just over 25, but say like, over twenty five and less than a thousand years old, because you've got all these like ancient or immortal characters, oh, yeah. and like that's fine. <laughs> they're basically like a twenty something year old character, right? Right,
1: right, yeah. they'll, they'll be the their age, their species equivalent, though, of a nineteen of a year old. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. they always yep. have to be in there. Um, And there's always, often, a, not always, but there's often a theme in fantasy as well of discounting the wisdom of your elders. If you look very often the people who are like, "Oh, well, you should listen to your elders or pay attention to this older king." Usually that person turns out to be wrong and it's the young upstart, you know, protagonist who ends up being right for ignoring their wisdom. Where Kings of the Wild is very much so in the other direction where these younger bands are going out and trying to get, you know, their their reputations going And in reality, their lack of wisdom is their downfall throughout the story. You know, that's where their foolishness getting them nose broken and wrist break broken as well. Um, I like kind of seeing that for once go the other way where it's like, okay, the wisdom of our characters because they're more experienced really shines through.
0: And mentioning the other bands, too, it is interesting like how far the music analogy goes Mm -hmm. because they are they're not just, you know, taking the play of the words mercenary band and like being, oh, well, what if they were, you know, kind of like band bands and music? Uh, They're like actually having almost like concerts or Battle of the Bands uh, (laughs) where they like just perform in front of an audience and they're like tame monsters on leashes and everything. It's like not really a real fight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there, yeah. There's definitely the the old, uh, you know. We used to really do it. Your your fights aren't the real fights. Our fights were the real fights. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. kind of going on, which in, in Kings of the Wild is true. I mean, the, the older bands were the ones who were really going into the wild and being, you know, all the the real fights. So I guess there it doesn't hold up because new music is actual music. I'm I want to go ahead and squash that down. Um, <laughs> but one of my uh, favorite moments of the entire series though was. Um, So there's this really uh, wonderful scene. Do we do spoilers here? Is that okay if I get into more specific stuff, or is that something you avoid Uh, typically?
0: I'd say spoilers are fine, just level of spoilers where it's not going to, say, ruin the story for someone that we're trying to talk into reading Kings of the Wild. Of course. Um, So... There's a
1: lighthearted tone throughout this book, and this is not a spoiler in the sense of, like, oh, I'm going to ruin the sto- story for you, I promise. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's this lighthearted tone, and even during fights, there can be, like, the more comical fights. But I'll just say Nicholas Ames, though, does take the time to show the brutality of injuries and how debilitating this stuff will be and how an older body can really struggle with that stuff. You know, there's the older characters who are not in their prime— And, you know, a couple of our characters get injured and there's the time taken to show, like, this is a big deal. Like, they might die um, out in the wild because of this injury. And so, well, yes, you can have your fun. You can have your fights. There are ramifications for your actions, and I think it's way more damaging. You know, Our society doesn't like showing boobs, they think that's wrong, but we'll show someone with a machine gun shooting a thousand times and there'll be no blood. I think that's really bad. If you, if you have a gun going off, you should show the ramifications, you should show the blood, you should show the injury. That teaches people that there's ramifications for you know violence. Um, so I like that there was definitely the moments of, oh, this is a big deal. My body is broken. Um, now, granted, it's a fantasy story and there's ways around that, but there's definitely at least those moments of this person
0: is injured. Yeah, you definitely feel the impact more than some other stories. Like you're not getting shot with arrows three times in the chest and then continuing to have a major battle for the next hour. Boromir, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not to name names.
1: Uh. <laughs> Spoilers for Lord of the Rings.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but if you're spoiled by lord of the rings i'm sorry I, I i don't know what to tell you at this point yeah you're in the wrong crowd <laughs> so yeah i mean i I just think there's a lot of kind of individual things that feel fresh and new for the background of kings of the wild not being the most original yeah and i i'm here for that right like i i like that because i think that, you know, there's no such thing necessarily as an entirely new story. I mean, there's only so many tropes you can use, only so many character archetypes, only so many plot twists you can dream up. Uh, it's really just all in the execution, and I think that Ames has fantastic execution in this book. You see you
1: see people right in that same vein of what you're saying, they're constantly comparing this book to a D&D campaign. They're saying it reads like friends playing D&D. And I don't think he maybe was going for that vibe, but the, the reason people keep saying that is because he's actually having just so much fun with his characters. That's where that comes yeah. from. And it's just it's, it's, it's really funny to me how, like, we need more authors to do that. You know, there's so many authors who seem to treat their character development like a mathematical process, and that's fine because it can have an amazing result. But it's a lot of times I think they forget to have fun with their characters. Um, they forget that, OK, you've done all this development to let it, really let us know who they are do something with it. Do something that's not just development. Do something that's a result of that development. And Kings of the Wild has that in spades uh, when it comes to just sitting those characters down around a campfire and letting their dialogue just crackle.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the banter in this book is great. Like, I just love, you know, some of the in-jokes they have. And they do have in-jokes, right? Because they used to tour for years together and everything. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, established friendships that go back decades before the start of the book. Um, and yeah, the relationships I felt were really well done for a book that I've seen some people kind of just dismiss as oh, you know, it's just like trying to be a spoof, trying to be a parody. Uh, it's not that great, but I mean, poo on them, I say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. I'll agree. P- poo on them is the is the conclusion we can come to there.
0: Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I. I'm trying to think, without going into too many spoilers, what else I want to say about this book. I I do actually, I read in an interview from the author that he, one of his big inspirations for writing this book was, believe it or not, Ready Player One. I don't know if you've read that, but it's not all that similar to Kings of the Wild. It's just the idea that you can write a book that's just a love letter to everything that you like about something. And so, I mean, that's music, that's D&D, that's fantasy as a whole. And I definitely see that comparison.
1: Yeah, I would have never made that connection in a million years. But now that you say that, it makes complete sense. I've, I've read Ready Player One. It's actually one of the first book reviews I ever did. Not a good review. Don't go look it up. Bad. Um, <laughs> but I have soured on that book a little bit since then. I still think it's fine, but it's not as good as I think I said it is in that review. But I can totally see how that same philosophy of just writing a love letter to... Uh, Something you're so passionate about can have an end result like this,
0: yeah, and I mean can have crazy out there stuff, like a species of elves where they're basically you know cut and paste elves, but they've got bunny ears instead of elf ears, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure,
0: um yeah,
1: and. I don't know. There's something about Kings of the Wild that while I read it, you're right, it's not the most original, um, but I would say it's probably one of the most passionate reads I've, I've done in a bit just because I think the author puts so much uh, personality in there. I mean, that's, if if you're the kind of reader who needs a Malazan scale everything, you know, there's those people out there who they read, they read fantasy for the epic and that's cool. That's awesome. You can do that. That's fine. Um, you may not like Kings of the Wild though, but if you're someone who really you know cares about characters and the way they interact with each other
0: there's there's few things i've read in the last year uh that that do a good job as this one i mean at this point with you know reading hundreds and hundreds of fantasy books i'm kind of looking for stuff that can give me a new emotional experience in addition to just like new setting or new plot points Uh, and i definitely think i got that with kings of the wild yeah I
1: just, uh, sorry, totally taking a left turn here, finished the last Dark Tower book today. And speaking about emotions, I spent about 20 minutes walking around my apartment afterward just going, what?
0: <laughs> just trying to, like, process what happened. Oh, man, Dark Tower. That's, that's a series that I've always kind of been interested in, maybe starting, but I don't know. I've, I've kind of been hesitant.
1: So here's what I'd recommend it, and actually in a similar vein for Kings of the Wild. Once you're pretty familiar with fantasy... Both of these are something to go after that. So Kings of the Wilds, if you want probably the best parody of fantasy I've seen in the novel, go Kings of the Wild. Dark Tower is, do you want the weirdest take on Lord of the Rings possible? Like the story that inspired so much fantasy you've read, um, you know, it really shaped Western fantasy for so long. Do you want to read Stephen King's version of that? Then you should go Dark Tower. If you're craving just a wild, weird, Bodily fluid focused uh, <laughs> adventure through the Stephen King multiverse, then go Dark Tower because it's I I loved it, but I can very much so see how it's not going to be for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think the only two opinions I've had are that that I've heard are one, it's completely over overrated, not worth your time, and then also that it's like one of the most amazing series that the person has ever read in their life. Yeah. And I
1: think you need to find out if you're a King fan before you start it, because if you're... I can't imagine picking this book up without having read a lot of Stephen King, or series up before, without having read a lot of Stephen King before it, because he's referencing his own material. There's like a whole background lore. I don't know if you know this, but Stephen King essentially has been building a multiverse since the beginning of his career. Like, yeah. all of his stuff's yep. connected. And you need to have read, just off the top of my head, Salem's Lot, The Stand, uh, it for a couple references, like you need to be in Stephen King. So just being someone who's like, I like Lord of the Rings. Let me pick up dark tower. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a rough ride, um, with maybe a lot of pauses to read other stuff.
0: I mean, I, I'm an advocate of work should stand on its own. So like, I feel like you should be able to pick it up if you haven't read that much and still enjoy it. Like, I don't know. Do you think, I mean, you sound like you're familiar with King's work, so you didn't have this experience, maybe. But do you think that someone could pick it up and still enjoy it, or do you have to have read a bunch of his other stuff?
1: It'll depend person to person. It's a good question. Um, I think you definitely could still enjoy it, but there's going to be a lot of moments where you're left scratching your head. So this is, like, something notorious about the series. Mild spoiler, but not for, like, a huge deal. Not for, like, it's, you know, story changing. But, like, at one point in the series... One of the characters finds Salem's Lot, like the book by Stephen King, Salem's Lot, and then meets a character from that book. And yeah, so you then go through like, and so if you've read Salem's Lot, it really helps. But I guess if you haven't, you can just fill in the gap that Stephen King is telling you that this book exists in this world and Stephen King, the author, exists in this world, so there's yeah, a lot it, of stuff like that. Doesn't he write himself into the series at some point? Yes, pretty, pretty heavily, <laughs> more so than I expected. Um, it's really? It's okay. odd, yes. Uh, he also references things that have happened in his own life. So if you know that Stephen King was hit by a car at one point, which he was, then yeah, that'll—it's <laughs> really intense. Like, it's just this weird, wild roller coaster of Stephen King-isms. Um, you can tell his publisher at one point just threw away the editing pen and went, fine,
0: do what you want. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, once you pass like a certain level of fame as a writer, you kind of get that freedom. Yeah,
1: oh, for sure. And Stephen King, I'm pretty sure, shot his editor in the 80s and just has been putting out whatever he wanted for decades.
0: Yep, and I mean, it works. He's basically guaranteed a movie or TV show deal for everything he writes, too. He has to be making more money now than he ever has in
1: his career with the amount of adaptations he has coming down the road. I think there's like six right now for him, all pretty big. There's no way he's not just putting it in the bank (laughs) Uh,
0: i believe it one of those rare instances where you know becoming a writer actually does make you very rich yeah i mean the uh, the only other uh modern author more wealthy than him isn't it uh jk rowling isn't she the only one to pass him uh maybe i wouldn't be surprised uh but (laughs) i've kind of intentionally not been keeping up with news about rowling recently because uh I don't know. That's a roller coaster in itself. I don't blame you. There's a
1: lot of issues there. Um, Yeah, Rowling, man, she makes the death of the author debate. So many people I knew (laughs) were like, yeah, it's always in the author's control. No matter what, that's fine. And then Rowling pulled Rowling, and everyone's like, never mind. As soon
0: as it's published, you're done. (laughs) yeah well, I guess uh bringing it back, I'm not surprised that we get on tangents talking about books, yeah, uh, but bringing it back a little bit to Kings of the Wild. Is there anything else you want to say about this book?
1: Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's not the best introduction to fantasy for obvious reasons. I mean, it's a parody, so you need to know you know what you're getting into. but I, I think you'd still enjoy it if you aren't well read in fantasy for sure, but I just recommend it to so many people. Basically, if you've read if if you have a good sense of humor, you're willing to not take things so seriously. It's such a wild ride. It's so well done.
0: Nicholas Ames is a genius, and I'll be picking up the next one really soon. Yeah. And I will say, since I've read the next one, I think you're in for a treat. I think it's every bit as good as the first book, arguably better. Wow. Okay, good. I heard that it was a little bit not as, not as quite as
1: good. So I'm glad to hear that from you. I appreciate that.
0: Um, I, it really depends. I feel like the first book really rode the popularity of being different than what people were expecting going in. Mm. Uh, this, I mean, it's a sequel. You can't really do that necessarily. But I mean, he's grown as a writer. His character works better. His plotting's better. Uh, just the reading experience is more engaging, I feel like. Mm. Um, overall, I feel like it's a much stronger book, but it might not scratch the same itch that a lot of people had for Kings of the Wild. So I, I can see it go either way. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Fair enough. I mean,
0: I'll probably
1: enjoy it. I'm one of these people that once I really fall in love with an author, they, they have to do something pretty egregious for me to like at least not appreciate them. No, I, I suspect that you're going to love it. Good.
0: Good. I'm glad. And I think you have great taste, so I'm down. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I guess moving on to our second book. So I picked The Last Son by Katie Edwards. Uh, and I picked this because... I feel like it's not that well known. It's a uh, fairly recent release. I think mid 2018 is when it came out. Um, it's the start of a new sort of urban fantasy series, given that it takes place kind of in the modern day, uh, but it's really high magic. There's no magic lurking in the shadows. Like uh, Atlantis has come back to the surface, sort of, and the city of New Atlantis is full of all these rival houses, which. Not that original in itself, but all the houses are based off of cards in the tarot deck, which is something that I've never seen before personally, and I think is just a really cool world-building choice. And the characters are just a lot of fun. The banter, kind of like Kings of the Wild, is great, uh, and it's just a good time overall. Uh, So I don't know. What did you think, Daniel? I was really surprised by
1: how... uh, So urban fantasy has a reputation for having minimal magic, and this really rallied against that. I mean, there was a... God, it's so overused to say this, but Sanderson-esque level of time devoted to talking about the magic in these books, uh, which I appreciated because I think urban fantasy needs to stand up and start having some, you know, light bringer scale magic systems incorporated in where it's well-developed, integral to the story. Don't get me wrong. I love Dresden Files, but it's just reliant on having a, okay, this is magic, magic system where I want you know, urban fantasy to break away from that stereotype of how it's supposed to function. So I really appreciated that part of it. Uh, the characters were a lot of fun. Um, and I, I think my one complaint would be with the villains a bit, but we'll get into that later on. Yeah, overall, I think it was just a really fun ride uh, from beginning to end. And I'm curious about the rest of the series at this point. I mean, if you got me hooked to enough to go, okay, I want to know the next one,
0: then you've done a good job. Yeah, so would you say you're at that point with this series? Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious for the next one. Yeah, and I know uh, the second book came out recently, a couple months ago. Okay, so it's uh, out. And Good. I have not, I have not read it yet. It's called The Hanged Man. And so I guess first off, the cover is even better than the first book's cover, which I felt was already really cool looking. But I've heard nothing but amazing things about the sequel, which I won't get too much into because I haven't read it and that's not what this is about. But the consensus is it's a huge leaf in quality from the first book, which I already thought was very good. Yeah, yeah the, I, I'm surprised to hear that because I thought the first book was a perfectly good, you know, nothing
1: weak in terms of like, oh, this author needs to go, you know, hit the punching bag and work on this aspect of their
0: writing. Uh, so that's really encouraging to hear. Well, I, I guess so. We both love magic systems and that's kind of already come up. So... Magic in this book, there's, I guess, various types of it, but the main one that we see is like in the form of sigils, Mm -hmm. which can be charged up and stored with different types of magical energy, and then you can call out that magic later. I really liked the fact that uh, it shows you having to consciously prepare for upcoming battles, and it's almost kind of like... I Hesitate to say this because it's really not the best comparison like a lit RPG where you've got hard almost game-like rules where you know Okay, like you have six sigils. You've got six spells essentially like you can't exceed that you can't pull something out of your ass at the last moment Yeah, it's not the most like radically original magic system, uh, but I thought it was used to pretty good effect.
1: Yeah, it's more about the utilization, and it was very true to its own rules, which I appreciated. I think the comparison to a lit RPG is perfectly valid. I mean, it, it did function in that almost game mechanic sense. Um, and, you know, people often complain that there's not enough cost to the magic systems. Well, this is almost like a economy sense where it's like, okay, you need to pay the price of using that sigil, and then you're done. Uh, So I think in terms of cost as well, which people, you know, often complain about and definitely lends a lot of risk and stakes to the
0: story. uh, You know, it it was 100 percent functional for me in that sense. So I guess would you consider it a hard magic system or not so much? Well, it has multiple
1: systems going on, right? So there's going to be, yeah. I think one of them is defined enough to be, I would say it's on the harder side of thing, but I also am one of these people who thinks that every magic system kind of just falls on a scale. There's no true 100% because yep. there's always going to be a little bit of, okay, the author wants things to happen now. And then there's the completely mushy, gushy, soft, and nothing's nothing's just, okay, I will it and it's done. Um, so I'd say it kind of, one of them, from what I, my impression definitely fell on the harder side, while the others were... a bit more on the softer, but I I don't think they were fleshed out enough for us to really know. Hopefully book two will give us that. Here's hoping. I was going to say it's also my first. uh, So it's categorized on Goodreads as an uh, LBGTQ fantasy book. And this is actually the first one of those I've ever read. I didn't know that was like a specific subgenre you could have. And it's interesting to read that. And it's just kind of heartwarming to know that that actually exists as like a subgenre. Because one of the complaints I've had recently is like, where are my gay protagonists at? Um, And now I'm like, oh, okay, they're here and I can finally find books that are catered to that and it's not um, You know being handled by someone who's gonna mess it up and have it delivered in a horrifically clunky way And it actually was handled quite nicely. I felt like throughout the entire storyline
0: Part of that's his skill as a writer I think also part of that is the author himself is a member of the LGBTQ community Mm -hmm. Uh, So it has that own voices vibe going for it as well. I know One complaint I have seen from people, which to be fair, I do think is valid, is that there are not a lot of women characters with much agency in the book. Um, And yeah, so I I think they definitely have a point. There aren't really. But that's also something I've heard improves in the sequels because the author was made aware of that. And he consciously tried to include a greater variety of characters. Yeah, that's that's a very fair complaint. I didn't think of
1: it, which, you know, I'm dude, so that wouldn't be something i noticed most likely, Yep. but it is definitely there. I think that's a very fair criticism, but if you corrected it in book two, great. Um, and uh, there were some female, yeah, but they weren't really close to the story or very integral. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that then, now that I think about it.
0: No, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's the kind of thing that it's easy for me to miss on occasion, uh, but once it's pointed out and I know to look for it, like I can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Well, you did say you had a couple criticisms about the villains. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? So for me, OK,
1: so, oh, boy, spoilers. Um, <laughs> having the type of villain we have here where they do something, are involved in something that's so grotesque and horrific towards one of the protagonists. Um, I, for me, it was just like, oh, I hate this person so, so much And they so gotta die. And I wanted—oh, man, I can't talk about this without spoilers. Um, (laughs) Okay, let me just say that the, the delivery of the finale for me could have been handled in a way where I would have gotten more catharsis. And I didn't get as much, oh, hell yeah, kind of moments as I figured I would. And in fact, it's like that's part of the reasons why I'm curious for book two now, because there were certain things tied with our protagonist and our villain that now I'm like, okay, I need more resolution with this for book two. So maybe it's not even necessarily a criticism. It's part of the reason I want to go looking for the next one. I'm sure the author's glad to hear that. Um, (laughs) It's just like it's just like a me finishing book one, not having read book two. I'm sitting
0: here chomping at the bit like I need to know, man. (laughs) So maybe it's not even a criticism now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's also kind of one of those things where someone who might be built up as one of the big bad type characters in book one, you kind of find out that, oh, you know, they're like the secondary big bad or like the tertiary big bad. Like there's more going on that you didn't know, which
1: is a cliche or a trope that a lot of authors use um, at the end of their books, especially first books like this. And I think it was handled a bit clunkily here. But I was still fine with it. I was still like, all right, cool. I'm just down to explore this more. But as soon as it started being hinted at, it was very much so like, okay, it's going to be that. Got it. Done. Like, you know what I mean? It was definitely as soon as like that part of the hand was showed at all, I was like, you're doing this exact thing. Got it.
0: Yeah, I get that. It's it's definitely a trope that, like you said, is pretty common. For me personally, it's not something I necessarily dislike, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... Some things about that have definitely been done many times before.
1: And tropes aren't inherently a bad thing at all. I mean, you, you tropes exist for a reason. They're something to be used and they're parts of the genres that we love. We love a chosen one trope, right? I mean, that's why we're all here. Um, it's just about how tactfully you handle
0: them. Again, coming back to it falls down to the execution. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um. And so you've already kind of mentioned I have a couple notes on series that I think it Compares to. We've talked about the Sanderson esque world building, which these days I feel like just comes to mean anything with like very prominent world building, uh, like very rise to the surface, uh, just because, you know, he is just such a giant in world building and in the genre in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, uh, the Dresden Files, because of the themes of urban fantasy, kind of the mystery behind it as well. But I also think, you know, anything like with Kings of the Wild, the banter, the bromance, the relationships, all of those are handled very well. Any series that has a focus on friendship, um, as much as this one did,
1: is going to get a leg up in my book because I just am so tired of seeing friendships not developed in fantasy books. Like, it's just we're told people are friends and then maybe we'll have, like, a throwaway couple lines of banter. And this one really focused on the chemistry between the leads And that, I feel like, is why so many emotional beats in this book landed for me. It's why I have an emotional reaction to hearing about these horrific things that happened to our protagonist. And that, if I was going to actually sell this book on any individual selling point, it would be how much the relationship between the main characters and how much the chemistry between them is focused on.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. I think the characters are probably the standout part of this book, and probably the series as a whole. And then maybe secondary appealing to a lot of fantasy fans is the world and the magic and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that that wraps up just about everything I wanted to cover with uh, again the Last Son by K.D. Edwards. Um, I think the series name is the Tarot Sequence. If you're interested in looking that up, so I guess. Anything uh, you've been reading or listening to lately that you've enjoyed, Daniel? So I just started The Expanse,
1: Uh, so flipping over to sci-fi, I know, I'm a traitor, I'm a horrible person. Uh, (laughs) I
0: group it all under speculative fiction, I don't care. There
1: you go, there you go. Um, And I've been absolutely loving it. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, So I'm really enjoying Leviathan Wakes. Uh, I also just finished Dark Tower, as I mentioned, which made me pace around my apartment just kind of going, what? What? Uh, for a while (laughs) Uh, and it's it's got one of those endings that it's just even if like it's got one of those endings to Dark Tower it's just everyone has an emotional response whether positive or negative no one's just eh about it everyone's passionate which as an author I feel like no matter what you should take pride in uh yeah that's fair yeah and then I'm planning on just Binging Dresden Files soon, trying to catch up in time for the uh, the next book to be released because I'm actually not up to date on it. I think I'm on book like seven or eight, so I need to really oh, push wow, through further. Oh, wow, you got further. like
0: seven or eight more books to go then. I know, I'm a bad person. <laughs> Eh, I mean, there's so much out there, right? Yeah. But I will say the back half of the series is significantly better than the front half of the series.
1: I thought people were joking when they kept saying like book eight of Dresden's when it gets great. I was like, oh, it's a joke because, you know, everyone says like book three <laughs> or four. And now that I'm yeah. at like book seven or eight, I'm like, the series is so good now. Like it's always been good. But every book now is just so much better than the last. And Jim Butcher clearly is just getting better and better at expanding his world and realizing who Harry Dresden is. Um, yeah, especially the growth of the wizarding world within the Dresden Files in the last couple books has been impressive.
0: I, I agree entirely. And I will say as someone who recently completed a Dresden binge, because I was behind for a long time, give me a shout out when you hit book 12. I'm curious to see what you think.
1: Why does everyone keep saying that? <laughs> <laughs> everyone is like, when you hit this one, let me know what you think. And I'm afraid like I'm going to open the book. It's just going to shoot me in the chest. Like what's going to happen?
0: I mean, okay, I'll say a couple things. One, it's called Changes. Stuff obviously changes in the series, right? It's a turning point for the series that makes sense, so of course it stands out. But I will also say I heard the exact same thing you have, and I was almost a little like, oh, I mean, yes, this is like huge, 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 but also like you told me it was going to be huge, 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 so like meets expectations. Okay. But still, very, very good. Okay.
1: I've heard nothing but positive, so I'm so pumped. It's one of these things where like, I know it's going to be good and I'm just excited to read it because very often in my job it's like, how's this? I just know Dresden is like going to be good. It's brain candy at this point. It really is.
0: So you read, you said two or three books a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you kind of a mood reader where you just pick whatever or uh, you've kind of said that or do you like plan in advance at all like your next couple books? So this is going to sound really weird. I'm a place reader, so I have a book
1: by my nightstand, and I read that when I'm in bed. I have a book in my backpack, and I read that when I'm outside, and I have a book on my desk, and I read that when I'm working, and there's a few moments. Um, So it just depends where I physically am, what I am reading. So I usually have a Dresden book in my bag because those are small paperbacks, and I can just enjoy them. I have Leviathan Wakes right now on my desk because it's big, and I don't want to hold it, and I have a book thing that holds it for me. Uh, I am that weak. And then uh, by my uh, nightstand right now, I have Stephen King's On Writing.
0: Okay. Yes, I I definitely need to get around to that book. I I know it's like, you know, the one writing book that everyone says, oh, you have to read it. Uh, so absolutely got to read it. Yeah. I mean, it's so far,
1: it's been just full of great advice. Um, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this counts. I also have a workout book that I'm reading because I'm trying to like, not be a horrible person now that I'm working from home and actually move. <laughs> so this book is basically like, hey, stop eating bad food. You know you shouldn't. Now do all these push-ups. You suck. And it's it's been a good read so
0: far. Yeah, yeah, it sounds uh, very uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I am kind of like you. Instead of a place reader, I'd say I'm a format reader. Mm. Uh, so I always have something going on. Ebook typically that's you know an advanced review copy because it's the cheapest and easiest way for a publisher to send you a book. Um, or a lot of self-published books are only in ebook format. And then I uh, I always have an audiobook going for my commute or if I'm doing chores or something like that. Uh, sometimes while I'm working out. But you know I've been like squatting in the gym listening to kings of the wild and that is a bad combination <laughs> you don't want to be laughing with like lots of steel
1: over you oh my god yeah so i will listen to audiobooks when i'm on the treadmill but i won't listen to them when i'm lifting because one i need like music that makes me feel like i'm superman even though i'm not yep um but also yeah there's just a chance for it's like a revelation will happen and i'll gasp and drop a weight because <laughs> i am yep. a very dramatic person uh, who apparently <laughs> can do that
0: Yeah, I also say uh, when you're in public, sometimes uh, you make weird faces at people, and you get weird faces made back at you when you're listening to something. Yeah, oh, okay,
1: so if you don't mind story time, I was on the Metro listening to a Dresden book a while ago, and it made me laugh out loud, and I had, like, uh, headphones in that are wireless and a hoodie on. (laughs) And so no one could see them. And so you just see this guy who's been like zoned out staring at his shoes suddenly burst out laughing. And this mom and her daughter who are right next to me moved to the other side of the train. And oh, i no. never felt more like the crazy person in my entire life.
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm glad that you say that you were listening to the audio of Dresden, because when you mentioned the paperback, I was like, Daniel, you like audiobooks, and Dresden is like some of the best audiobooks out there. For sure, for sure. I actually am weird. I will get both copies of a book and alternate, which
1: apparently I'm the only person in the world who does that.
0: Huh. I mean, it makes sense. I like getting physical copies, too, just, you know, to have on my bookshelf or something as well, so. Exactly. I will say, uh, I just finished reading a book that, maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't, uh, The Gutter Prayer by Gareth Hanrahan. mm -mm. Okay, have you heard about it at all? No, never even heard of it. Okay, I think it is right up your alley. It's the same publisher that did Kings of the Wild. I mean, that's the extent of the comparison. (laughs) It's not like (laughs) Kings of the Wild at all. Uh, But, man, if you like crazy world building, like, within the first two pages, you get the viewpoint of a sentient bell... You have a uh, character with a stone disease. He's slowly turning to stone. He can't stop moving or his entire body will become stone and he'll be locked into his own body and suffocate. You've got a character who is a ghoul from the underground of the city and is constantly fighting against his ghoul instincts to just like kill people and eat flesh and go like full ghoul. Uh, And it's just super, super interesting. Uh, The guy actually wrote RPG games. So like he's really big into like in-depth, coherent world-building. So check it out if you're interested in that. Okay, that sounds interesting for sure. I'll, I'll add it to my 300-plus book TBR. Um, yeah, yep yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Well, actually, I have one more thing I want to ask you. Sure. So if you enjoy audiobooks, have you listened to any audio dramas? No,
1: I've had a lot of people recommend them to me, um, and I, I need to check them out, but I haven't given them a go yet
0: gotcha yeah I mean there's there's so much amazing that's out there and I always think it's interesting that people can love audiobooks but refuse to listen to audio dramas uh, not throwing my co-bloggers under the bus or anything uh, <laughs> but yeah I mean there's there's a lot of great stuff out there that's so there's the, there's two new formats right well no audio dramas have been around for a
1: while but there's this other thing uh, taking off where you have a full cast with like sound effects what's that called
0: uh so I do know I, you might be thinking of there's a particular company called uh, Graphic audio? Yeah, yeah, Is graphic audio. A lot of people have been telling me I need to give those a go. Okay, controversial opinion from me, because I think I'm in the minority on this. I can't do graphic audio. Uh, it's too much going on. I, I listen to part of The Way of Kings, and there's swords clanging, there's an epic soundtrack, there's people shouting in the background, and you're expected to pay attention to everything on top of that.
1: See, I think um, I'll have the same opinion as you. I'm just really curious
0: yeah I definitely think it's such an interesting idea, and I love that people are enjoying it uh, because I'm a fan of anything that breaks like conventional just things how they've been done in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fully for that, in my opinion, uh, it works better for like your typical podcast uh, radio drama type show for me, okay. Okay. Yeah, I I I can see that. See, I used to listen to like detective
1: noirs in the radio, where you have like the guy with the like shoes and a floorboard making the sound effect. Like I used to love those. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but I think they would be a bit too much for me
0: now, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, I I will say that type of thing compared to where audio drama is now is like comparing. Uh, pre-Lord of the Rings books to like the current state of the fantasy genre. Like it's yeah, it's evolved yeah. a lot.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I'm just saying that's my frame of reference for having sound effects yeah. in an audio book. So, yeah, I'm sure it's
0: quite different. Well, uh, that about wraps everything I had planned. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go?
1: What are you currently reading? You can't just grill me
0: and then not talk about what you're reading. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so right now, I'm reading uh, a review copy for Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Weir. I really hope that's how you say your name, because I don't think I've ever actually heard it said out loud. Uh, are you familiar with the author or the series at all? Mm-mm. Okay, so last... September I could be wrong. I think September 2019 Gideon the ninth released and it's billed as necromancers in space Hmm. Uh, It kind of has the setup of like hunger games or red rising or any kind of thing where you gather all of these elite people together And they have some sort of competition in this case It's all of these like elite necromancers and their uh, sword wielding cavalier warriors uh, gather on the prime planet and they are trying to become this elite form of necromancer that can support the undying immortal god-emperor. Okay. Uh, it's really cool, crazy world-building. Uh, if you like Sanderson magic systems, again, coming back to Sanderson, <laughs> uh, I've never seen necromancy done like this. I will say uh, Sanderson could probably learn a thing or two from Tamsin Wears magic, which is saying a ton. And then also just, you know, the characters are incredible. It's a little bit hit or miss, I'll say, for the main character, because at least in the first book, very snarky, very kind of irreverent, um, and like lots of humor, like dark humor. And that can be hit or miss for people. So if you like that, you'll love it. If you don't like that, it might be a bit of a grading book for you. Uh, But overall, incredible, incredible series. And I think the second book might be even better. I'm only about 40% in, so it's hard to say for sure. Like goddamn, it's an incredible series, and I think it's rightfully been making waves. Good,
1: good. I'm glad to hear that. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Anything as soon as you say necromancers in space, my my nerd,
0: my nerd radar just goes hmm. Okay. Oh, I mean it's it's even better, right? Because it's necromancers broken down into spirit mages, into flesh mages, into bone mages, uh, into blood mages, into all sorts of things. So I mean, if you want to see someone like. Extend their arm bones into a sword blade and then like pull the blood out of your body and summon a soul from beyond the grave all at the same time Like, you know, this is the book for you That's hot <laughs> <laughs> Like There's always so much fantasy geeking I can do guys.
1: Yeah, really that's oh man, okay That's 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 something I am have to pay attention to for sure
0: Yeah, absolutely and Yeah, I mean it's structurally really cool, too. It's part mystery. It's part gothic horror, It's part uh, Kind of that hunger games red rising competition uh, It's part epic fantasy just set in space uh, and There are some like behind-the-scenes world building stuff that the more you learn about it the more you're like holy shit How has this never been done before because this is just too cool. Hmm? Well,
1: yeah, anyone who's willing to do that kind of ambitious stuff and then manage to get published, I have respect for because I know, you know, it's hard to do that or if they're self-published, even more respect. So, that's that's cool to hear that someone's out there doing that right now with something that's necromancers in space.
0: Uh, which is a great tagline. I mean, that's why I picked up the first book to begin with.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. <laughs> it's, I yep. would probably pick that up as well, either because you know that's going to be one of those things where it's either fantastic or it's horrible. And it's cool to hear that it's landing in the more fantastic
0: area. Absolutely. And then uh, I guess recently I also just finished an audiobook for Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. Have you heard of it? Yes, that one I've heard of. Okay. I... I mean, you might be a little bit familiar with it, but a quick overview for anyone listening who's not. is really cool kind of epic fantasy. It stands on its own. It is part of, I believe, a trilogy, but it's more of one of those series where the world itself is the trilogy, and that's the continuing thread. You've got different characters starring in each book. Uh, first one's a great start. It's based, like, the magic system is based on dance. Uh, it's entirely based in, like, Indian mythology, uh, and I don't know, it's just really cool. Really well done, very strong debut also by the same publisher that does kings of the wild
1: so they're they're putting out consistently phenomenal content is what you're saying and you're you're telling me they're, they, they're they your are. favorite publisher
0: I mean, <laughs> uh probably if if i could be a paid show for anyone i'd be a paid show for orbit i mean they did lightbringer as well right they do abercrombie's the first law they did nk jemisin's the broken earth like they've done so much yeah oh man both of those i, I can talk about abercrombie for another hour i've I love that
1: man's work so much.
0: <laughs> yep. And from what I've gathered uh, from your fans, your favorites are the standalones, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I
1: have not read the standalones yet. They are on my TBR. Yes, I have only read the first Law Trilogy and then uh, his newest one, which is called A Little Hatred.
0: Well, all the standalones are better than uh, the original trilogy. i my not
1: Everyone has told me. <laughs>
0: oh i don't know i feel like it's kind of a running joke at this point you should continue that streak as long as you can (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i need to i'll pick them up sooner rather than later i promise i promise you and everyone listening
0: (laughs) uh yep uh well Uh, I guess to wrap things up, you know, Kings of the Wild and The Last Sun are both incredibly, incredibly fun books. Uh, There's a lot of great and original stuff going on in them. They're not perfect. They won't be for everyone. But man, I had a great time with both of them. Uh, It sounds like you're kind of on the same page with some of that. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yep. And uh, so thanks again, Daniel, for coming on. Uh, It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. I'm a fan. I had a great time talking books with Daniel Green. If you're not already following his YouTube channel, the link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon, taking a moment to rate us in your podcast app, or just sharing the episode on social media. As always, you can find us online at thefantasyn.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyin. Or just hang out with us on our Discord server, which you can find through our blog or in the show notes. That's all for this week.